0: All right, Catherine, when I was reading like kind of a blurb before you came on here, some of like your experience and everything is just, there's a, there's a lot you've done. You've clearly niched yourself into this technology realm, this startup realm. Tell me a little bit about yourself and like how you got into it before we get into the whole conversation around relationships and finding a healthy one. So give yourself a little, a little intro for us all.
1: Yeah, happy to. And thanks so much for having me on today. So- Background has always kind of been in technology and startups, early stage startups. I've been employee number five at technology companies, mostly in the marketing and sales space. Okay. And so it was really through my own experiences that kind of Garbo and my life came to be what it is today and in, in the intersection of technology and gender-based violence. So I'm a multi-time survivor of of gender-based violence. And it was really through a, a domestic violence relationship with someone I met on an online dating app that really inspired uh, my journey to make sure that what happened to me doesn't happen to anyone else.
0: So let's talk about that a little bit, because when it comes to domestic violence or like gender-based violence that can kind of be like a bit of a broad spectrum. And, you know, this is, it's not something new. It's not something that's been introduced by technology by any means, but it certainly is something that, can potentially have some signs, some signals, and so that regardless of how you know them, regardless if there's technology involved, yes, there is, you know, maybe we'll start there. Let's talk about what uh, Garbo is, and then we'll go into kind of our own self-identifiers as well in situations.
1: Yeah, so Garbo is a new kind of online background check platform designed specifically really for online dating. Um, But it can really be used anytime you're meeting someone new. Like you said, that might be at a bar. It might be a friend of a friend. It could be even something outside of the online dating context of social media or buying something off a marketplace. Anytime you're really connecting with someone new, you don't know who you're really meeting in today's digital age. And so by providing an easy to use, affordable background check platform, That anyone can search with very limited information. Traditionally, we just need like a first name and a phone number and a location. And in a matter of minutes, they can see if someone has a history of violence or harmful behavior while filtering out certain nonviolent, non-harmful offenses to build an equitable solution. We know the disproportionate impacts of the criminal justice system on different mm. populations, especially people of color and other marginalized, vulnerable groups. And so we filter out things like drug possession, loitering, vagrancy, these types of offenses that really are not violent or harmful behavior. They're often like the state saying that something is an offense. To so make sure that we're focused on, on the behavior of bad actors, essentially, and focusing mm. on, on reporting that violent, harmful behavior. I'm
0: so glad you said that because that was my first thing. I'm like, this is such a good idea. But oh my gosh, the criminal justice system is so flawed. So how do we possibly create more safety, more background checks without also like, I know like a lot of jobs, you require background checks, all of these different things. And it creates a system in which, yeah, like people who have like drug possession and stuff are, you know, it's a mark against them for the rest of time. I would hate to hear that that's happening in also to people who are entering the dating realm and might have a criminal background because there is so much injustice in the system. But you really have tailored this towards, like would it would it flag something like domestic violence or sexual violence, things like that? Is that essentially what it's kind of filtering through?
1: Yeah, it's you know, harmful or violent behavior with the intent to cause harm is what we really look at. And so it might be financial crimes, right? you're 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 causing harm through financial crimes. It's definitely gender-based violence. It's definitely things like homicide, et cetera. But, those things where, again, it's not associated with this type of bad behavior in mm-hmm. individuals. We don't want to create bias. We don't want to perpetuate the, the biases seen within the, the justice system itself.
0: Now, I have to ask this because my husband works in tech. He was like number four at a startup as well. Like he, he, I I know that world a little bit. And it's a very male-dominated space. It is very male-dominated. The graduation rate, I went to a tech conference once because I worked with my ex at, at a different tech company and, or not ex, he's my current husband. Oh my <laughs> gosh, poor man. He's not an ex. Wow. No, I work with my current husband at my ex job in tech. And I remember they had a lot of conversations around there being a lack of women in tech. This leads me to the fact of you are a woman who has experienced this type of violence before you see this need. How was it presenting or did you have to at any point bring men on board to kind of support and champion
1: something like this in the tech realm? It's definitely male dominated and, you know, it's been my, my whole career is I've been the only woman at a table, many, many tables throughout my, my career. And I, I want to own that. I am a woman in this space and not Mm. feel like I have to change myself or, or have this toxic male leadership model that I used to kind of go by. Like, honestly, I used to kind of not be the nicest boss in the world because you're, you're showing those examples of toxic male leadership, especially in technology, especially in startups. But, you know, gender-based violence impacts everyone. Right, yes. it's one in three women, nearly one in three men, and one in two trans or non-binary people will experience domestic violence and other forms of gender-based violence in their lifetime. So it was important to get men on board who understand that this could impact them, their sons, their children, and and getting that that buy-in from folks at all sides of the table who look like everyone, right? That's really important to me. Is to surround myself by experts, advocates, etc. that are as diverse as the world is. And so that's really my, my approach to, to building this, this organization and to building a startup in a space that's, you know, you have to carve out your little realm and how you want to do it, not Mm -hmm. be a reflection of what already exists. Essentially.
0: Have you had much resistance in creating something like this?
1: Oh, yeah, I get called like big sister a lot, like, you know, big brother, because, you know, background checks notoriously are are controversial, and, and especially these kind of online background checks that, that you see, they reveal a lot of personal identifying information, like home addresses and email addresses, etc. And so they're seen as kind of like the just the worst parts of the internet, essentially these these traditional online background check companies. And so by creating something new and revolutionizing it and saying, okay, we're going to filter out nonviolent offenses. We're not going to give access to home addresses and email addresses and birthdays and see the sex offender across the street kind of information and fear mongering that these websites really do by revolutionizing it. You can begin to take some of that stigma away from it, Mm. but it's definitely, there's definitely been a, a lot of pushback, but I think it's sitting in that and understanding why there is that kind of connotation to them and saying, look, you, you can rebuild something. You can do something different.
0: I love that so much. And honestly, I have not experienced like the online dating world, but I know that just even friends going through it. We're kind of at this like weird point now where we use technology to track our friends, to make sure that they're okay and safe and home from a date. We use technology all the time to, you know, they hit the record button on an Uber that they're uncomfortable in. We have, you know, especially I would say as a woman, I've really experienced this with my other women friends, but I know that you're right. Like this goes across all genders. People are experiencing these types of things. And because dating is so broad now, and it's not just like, oh, it's a friend of a friend. And it is a lot of like online connections. I really do see the value in this, like being at play. So now just to clarify, it is available in the U S right now. Do you have plans to
1: expand? We do have plans to expand. I think the difficulty is, is that public records vary so widely and access to them varies so widely. But we are planning North America expansion and some other uh, countries here soon.
0: That's amazing. Now let's talk about the big thing that we wanted to talk about because there's so much that you have expertise on. And I honestly, I'm excited about Garbo and like everything, but there's also the fact that we can just talk about healthy relationships in general and watching for those red flags, those green flags. And right now there's like this social media trend of like red flags. And it reminds me of what happened when people started using gaslighting, like it was like a normal term. And I'm like, gaslighting as a real thing is a very serious thing. It's a very serious thing that you go through. It's a lot of psychological... I don't even know what the word is to describe it. It's a lot, right? It's a lot to manage. And then we start using them as like everyday terminology, mm-hmm. same with like words like triggered. People are like, oh, that triggered me. I'm like, no, that that's not what it is. And so we, we have a lot of these terms going around. And we now have, you know, red flag emojis going like they're a normal thing. And things like that, I understand it. They're funny. Like social media does its thing and it'll drop off tomorrow. But we're kind of left with the dust of, okay, what's a red flag? And what is really a red flag? Is that actually narcissistic behavior? Is that actually something I need to be worried about? Talk to me a little bit about your understanding and work through red flags, yellow flags, green flags. What are some of these things that we could be thinking about while kind of without the use of technology yet that we can really be reflecting on?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought up the kind of normalization of these terms in a way and and the normalization of abuse in a way, like gaslighting. The word narcissist has been thrown around quite a bit recently. And it's like, let's dive to the core of these things and really dissect them to understand them. Because if you just look at domestic violence or gender-based violence at a surface level, you, you think it'll never happen to you, right? You think, oh, like, I know the red flags and I know the warning signs and maybe your parents had a conversation with you and things like that. But they're much more nuanced and complex and complicated than kind of anticipated. So we can start with red flags, kind of the the most obvious things, especially early on in a relationship. I think that's really important when to identify these types of red flags. Yes. The first one that I always talk about, which happened in my own experience, is love bombing. And I love... Love bombing is one of
0: those things that I didn't until I was like married and read about it online, and I was like, oh, "This is what," and it's so common. Explain, talk to me about love bombing. What? Yeah, is love
1: bomb. Ba- yeah, love bombing is the like overgiving of love and affection and emotions at the beginning of a relationship, over the top. Think, oh, this man is prince charming, or this person is, you know. The person of my dreams, and they're mm-hmm. just so amazing. And it's really a tactic used by abusers to gain trust with a potential victim and to let the the other person's guard down because they're like, wow, this person is so magical, so incredible. This is my soulmate. This is my person. This is my soulmate. I'm falling
0: in love with you. These are like, I remember I'd been on like a single date, and this person was like, I'm falling in love with you. Like I never saw myself getting married and like I could see myself marrying you. I that was the first and last time I ever heard those words.
1: Yeah, ding, 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 red flag, yeah. right? Like yeah. red flag. Of, At the time of, I
0: was like, oh my gosh, I am very special. <laughs>
1: it feel, it, it's intended to make it feel yeah. amazing and make yeah. you feel amazing. But it's actually, you know, a sign of very potentially bad things to come, right? Because they, again, weaponize the the walls being let down and you start telling them facts about your life and things and building that trust with them only for them to use that against you later. So like that's the big thing. If it's too good to be true, chances are it's too good to be true. And and you know, we all want to believe in in fairy tale love. It's not like that in reality. You know, love love is not not a it's not a bombing, right? It's it's a it's a gradual thing that you should learn about that person and yes. and explore those feelings. So love bombing is the biggest one. Another one that I mentioned is not having deep relationships with friends or family. Like if they're kind of a a loner type or don't have like relationships even with coworkers or anything like that, it's usually that they can't form those deep relationships with themselves or with others, essentially. The access to personal devices is also a big red flag. Like if someone asks to see your phone, if someone asks for your social media passwords, if someone is like, who are you texting? You know your device is your whole life and it deserves to be private and 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 to demand access to it, to ask for access to it is accessing your brain your deepest thoughts so it's a major red flag i know in a lot of relationships it's kind of normalized to share passwords and, and give them access to your device but They can easily install stalkerware on your device. My abusive partner put his fingerprint into my phone, right? When I wasn't looking, I gave it to him once and then he put the fingerprint in so he could gain access to it forever. So device access, password access, things like that is a major red flag of just not having trust in the other person, which is foundational to to every relationship, and then I think the the last one, which is just interesting in this kind of digital age, online dating era that we're in yeah. is the refusal to have the relationship talk, like to define the relationship. The
0: DTR. We used to call it the DTR when I was in high school. And we used to always have like, when our friends are like kind of seeing somebody it's like, are you going to have the DTR? Are you going to define the relationship? Right?
1: Yes, exactly. And, and it's, kind of like cool and hip a little bit, or seen as cool and hip, to not define the relationship and things like that, and just to play it cool and casual nowadays. But that's that's actually a potentially bad sign of just not communicating in a relationship, not having healthy boundaries, not having respect for yourself or for the other person. And so that DTR, defining the relationship conversation, is critical at some point. And it's not just one conversation either. You should constantly be checking in with the other person about how they're feeling about the relationship. So those are like the major early red flags that I've consistently seen folks talk to me about and that are, you know, big potentials for abuse down the road, right? They're, They're seemingly innocent. Red flags are usually innocent. There's that uh, quote of, you know, I couldn't see red flags because I was wearing rose colored glasses. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And you have, you have this perception over your eyes that like, oh, it's a brand new relationship and, and you're excited. But if you start seeing these signs and we have actually on our website, a whole quiz about early red flags in a relationship that folks can take to help them identify these experiences in their own life. And then with yellow flags, I like to say that yellow flags are very personal, right? You might not be comfortable with something I'm comfortable with. And so yellow flags are just things that that you personally don't want to have in your life. And so that might be drug usage, things like that. It could just be that they're late all the time. And that is, re- you know, it's it's a sign of a potentially bigger thing. And so I think it's sitting with yourself and saying, what will I tolerate and not tolerate in a relationship? And those are the yellow flags.
0: Recently, I was hanging out with a friend of mine and she could easily flow between one language to the next. I was so fascinated and I said, how many languages do you speak? She said, four. I said, confidently? She goes, yeah. And I've never been more inspired because I think I just gave up at such a young age thinking that I just didn't have capacity for another language. But this is where Babel comes in. Because Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that we can actually use in the real world. When it comes to travel, being able to communicate with others, whatever your inspiration for wanting to learn a new language is, Babbel is here to help you. Babbel has 15-minute lessons to make it a perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Other learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts, and their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German, plus Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. There are so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, even videos, stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee, so you can start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, save up to 60% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash papaya. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash papaya for up to 60% off your subscription. Babel Language for Life. I want to share with you today my absolute adoration for Slumberkins. Slumberkins is a brand that I didn't know existed until recently, and now I'm absolutely obsessed because they're an emotional wellness company focused on raising the next generation of caring, confident, and resilient children. They have these incredible collections. I got one that's a little snuggler. It comes with a book and an affirmation card. I got three different ones. We have Hammerhead for conflict resolution. We have Lynx. For self-expression and we have sprite for grief and loss so it comes with a little affirmation card it comes with a board book and like i said that little snuggler i'm going to share with you sprite which is the one for grief and loss and just the little bit at the very beginning this little affirmation card it says though today is hard i am going to start the journey ahead with you in my heart And I love this so much because these creature collections, they're full of these snuggly creatures, these positive affirmations and books that teach age appropriate, tangible lessons in a way that kids really understand. They were created by a therapist and educator. So Slumberkins stories use therapeutic techniques to help children master social emotional skills created by moms for moms and trusted by thousands, including us. Slumberkins provides tools to teach children how to understand and support their emotions. They're actually designed to set emotional wellness foundations for any family. Learning about emotions has never been more fun and approachable for families. Slumberkins creatures and board books are perfect for children ages 0 through 8. And like I said, we absolutely love them. They're just such a sweet addition to our nighttime routines. And right now, if you want to check them out at slumberkins.com, you can use my code PAPAYA at checkout for 15% off your first order that's slumberkins.com use code papaya at checkout for 15% off your first order if you're looking for the perfect gift for a little one in your life this is by far one of my favorite recommendations that I've had in a long while so you've got to check them out I'm going to spell it out for you s.com and use that code papaya let's get back to the show I think a lot of times too. We, I, I've brought this up quite a few times because I, as I've grown up, I've watched Friends over and over and over again. It's one of my like comfort shows that I've always turned to. And the older I got and the more aware I got and through experiences through different forms of relationships, I really started to zone in on Ross and got really uncomfortable with the way that he was in relationship. And, and I ended up making like a whole highlight on it because people got so mad at me that I said that I actually thought Joey was the better partner. He was always honest about they were like, he was such a womanizer. I'm like, no, he was honest about what he wanted in a lot of ways. He grew through that. He loved it very um, differently. He s- fell slow in love with people. And then we have Ross and, and I wrote this because I wrote down like my feelings on it. I'm like, I'm going to break down my feelings on Ross because growing up and watching friends, I romanticized Ross. I mean, a man so in love with his high school sweetheart that he pines for her. He obsesses over her. He was funny and charming and dreamy. And then I grew up. I watched the show in its entirety about 20 times more. Suddenly much of the show sat differently. And most of the time it was this neat thing to witness. You know, as a society, we've grown away from many of these narratives, but not Ross because Ross I saw as toxic because, you know, we always want to say like, remember how funny he was? Like, yes. Remember how sweet he was? Yes, totally. And Rachel, she did toxic things too. I absolutely agree. But that's how toxicity in relationships work. We want it to be some asshole guy that's easy to hate and it's not. It's charming. It knows how to gaslight, how to create control, how to manipulate, and how to turn his obsessive controlling behavior into romantic storylines. When it serves him, he is the best ever. And when it doesn't, the entire friend group adjusts to make him okay. And when we talk about red flags, I it sounds so obvious. Like, it sounds like You would just know it right in that moment. This person like suddenly telling me immediately that they love me and they want to like create trust boundaries so we have access to each other's phones. Like if that works in your relationship, cool. But there's a lot of people who use it as like a brag point. Like I can access anything of my partners at any point. That's how much we trust each other. And my rebuttal is my husband doesn't ever touch my phone. That's how much we trust each other. And so as we've kind of, you know, build these conversations about relationships, talk relationships, red flags. I think why I pull the Ross narrative into it is because people struggle so much to identify the guy they love As potentially somebody who had a lot of red flags throughout the entire relationship. Like, don't even get me into the fact that he was dating somebody while she was pregnant with his child. But then when she dated somebody, he loses his mind. Everything goes to crap. Like he repeatedly does this like obsessive control, even when he's six years out of a relationship with her. Do you ever have like characters like that or have you noticed that we tend to really romanticize people who love bomb, who create these types of control, that it isn't necessarily like this dick of a human that we're like, oh my gosh, like it's so obvious. How did you not know? Like, yeah, sometimes they are, but most cases... It's very subtle. It's very sneaky. It's like the slow boil.
1: Yeah. No, I'm so glad you brought up that narrative because I think it, it, a lot of people have those feelings about Ross, the character Ross of like, oh, wow, he's such a great partner and this and that. But when you dissect it, there are a lot of red flags there. And I think that it's it's twofold. First is that you'll often hear people say when someone is abusive, well, they were nice to me or they didn't do that to me. You know what I'm saying? Oh
0: my gosh. Oh, they look like a
1: good person. And I'm like, yeah, of course they look like a good person. They're presenting them their best selves publicly, privately. It's a different story. And the reason that so many people kind of find themselves in abusive relationships is because it's not all bad, right? You wouldn't stay if it they were just exactly. You know, it's a cycle st- for a reason. It's a cycle of abuse, the cycle of violence where it's great. It's great. It's great. Then you're walking on eggshells, A, a explosive moment happens and then they try to make up for their bad behavior in some over-the-top kind of way to then make you fall back in love with them, stay, I swear I'll change, and it never changes. It just goes on and on and on. But there's there's good in the relationship or else you wouldn't stay in it. You mm-hmm. wouldn't find yourself in it. And so I think that is the biggest thing with these types of good presenting characters or people in your life is that what they do in private is very different and that there is a pattern to this. And it's like, my, my mother will say, it's like they were like given a, a, a book at birth, like the, the abuser handbook because they all use the same tactics, right? It's the cycle. It is. It's love bombing. It's like these same tactics. And that's why, you know, we're really focused on proactively preventing harm through technology tools and education, education being so important because if you don't have the terminology like love bombing, like you said, you didn't know about it until years later. If you don't know the word gaslighting or narcissism or these terms, you don't know how to define what is happening to you and how to articulate those experiences. So it's so important to call out these, these characters and have something that people can relate to mm-hmm. to further identify, oh, wow, I'm seeing those patterns in my own life, in my own relationships.
0: And let's be super honest when, well, this was my experience at least, when I heard domestic violence or when I heard of abuse in a relationship, to me, it looked like Chris Brown and Rihanna. That's how I assumed abuse looked. When I heard about sexual assault or heard about uh, sexual violence within relationships, I went to rape. I went to extreme forms of violence. And it wasn't until much later that I understood that there was, yes, there's physical abuse and yes, there's sexual abuse, but sexual abuse can be a very wide spectrum, even something as simple as not honoring your no and your consent, even within a married relationship, a loving relationship. People forget that. They think it's like their job. And if they don't want to have sex, then it's like their job to do it. And if their partner pressures them and pressures them and pressures them, that that is somehow okay within the realm of relationship. And it's not, there's also like emotional and psychological abuse. There's neglect, there is abandonment, there's financial abuse. And the one that I found well, a lot more people are having conversations about is religious abuse, right? Using the religious terminology to guilt somebody or like create control over someone. Did I miss anything there? Is there any other parts that you can really think of? Because I, I just found that like, for me growing up, like, and you're right, like this terminology is so Important, But like, if you, if somebody is creating control in different ways, even if they're shoving you, if they're shoving you, if they have done anything that is in that realm, like that is still like, I know we want it to be not that we want it to be, or we feel like it's only validated or real and true. When we see something like a Chris Brown and Rihanna, then we're like, no, that's abuse. What I'm experiencing, it's very minor. It's very minor. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is why I think, have you watched the show Made? No. Oh, you need I've to watch the show I've Made. I've heard about it. But hers is all in like the subtleties of abuse. She leaves before the person ever hits her. And they the, there's one line in the show that is so important. And she says, and her friend, I, I'm probably messing this up, but she says like, so what? He didn't, he didn't, before they hit you, they hit near you. Mm-hmm. And basically it's just showing the cycle over and over again, as this person is trying to leave, trying to create a new life and ultimately getting stuck in this cycle again and again and again, because if there's things like financial control and financial abuse, if you were in a single income family, that can happen very easily. There's so, and and it's such a slippery slope, but I have to ask you, do you think that abusers know they're abusers?
1: That's such a, such a good question.
0: I always Uh, wonder about it.
1: In my own experience, they, they are, they usually feel like the victim, right? Mm. They, they feel like the victim themselves of uh, a lot of we know that hurt people hurt people. Right. Mm -hmm. I always
0: say that. Yeah, it's true. But I like to always say just a reminder that you're not a punching bag for the hurt.
1: Exactly. No, like it's not it's not a right. It's not an excuse. Right. But Mm -hmm. it it is true that we know that sex offenders, for example, tend to be victims of childhood sexual abuse and sexual assault. And so hurt people do hurt people. So it's not an excuse. I believe that, you know, healed people also heal people Mm -hmm. and hurt people also heal people. And so it's not an excuse, but from my experience, they they don't want to take responsibility. It's like anyone committing, being a bad actor, committing offenses. They often don't want to take responsibility mm-hmm. for the harm that they've caused someone. And so, yeah, I think that they often view themselves as the as the victim of the situation, as the victim of life. You often see them just mm-hmm. being. Victims of life in general, and feeling like the, you know the world is against them, and that kind of mentality. So I, I don't think abusers want to take responsibility for for their actions. Now that I
0: I agree with you, I do agree with you. I just always find it fascinating because I think that as we talk about these things through, I think I think it's also a really good time to have self reflection. How are you're behaving in relationships and. It can be really easy to sit here and be like, this might happen to us, but also this might be somebody we are like, this could be a good time to reflect on how we're behaving through relationships and what healthy boundaries are. How can we exercise them more? How can we honor our significant others? Well, I- I'll tell you just from our relationship Both of us have had experiences of having a lack of trust or control in relationships. So finding that balance is a lot of, yes, I'm experiencing feelings of jealousy. I'm having, I'm experiencing feelings of mistrust. And how do I do that without creating a conditioning or a control to the other person? It is like a huge topic of conversation for us because it can be so easy to be like, I'm really uncomfortable with you having that coworker or you having that relationship, or I'm feeling really insecure. I'd like to have access to your phone, or I'm feeling like I don't, I don't know about you traveling by yourself. So I would rather you not go like if we've, that sounds like so safe and normal. And then you peel it back and you're like, I've created a conditioning and control based on my feelings that I haven't worked through. And this is all like my own personal experience. Everyone can do whatever they're going to do. But ultimately, I've had to come to realize that just because I'm experiencing feelings of an old memory or an old person, an old experience, does not mean that I get to put that and bring that baggage and place it onto somebody else and ask them to change for me in that regard. Now, if it was coming out of like my trauma and I needed somebody to respect my boundaries and my potential triggers. That's one thing. It's an entirely different thing. If I start to create different forms of abuse or control over my significant other, because of the experiences that I had coming back to your point of hurt people, hurt people. I get it. I get how it can happen. And again, when we hear these stories, it's like, yes, somebody who experienced, you know, sexual abuse as a child might then, you know, be an abuser as an adult. It's also things like if you've been cheated on, you might be somebody who now needs and creates control in relationships because you don't want to experience that again. Therapy is an amazing thing. And it's one of those things that I really want us to not just like be self-aware, but also like being aware of red flags for others and also being aware of like how we can have red flags. Did you struggle with that at all when you were like moving out of being in an abusive
1: relationship and having to recognize like your own shit afterwards too. You do go through a, a, a reckoning of, of your own behavior throughout relationships and relationships aren't just romantic relationships. Like the one thing that we have in life, everyone has relationships, friendships, family relationships, you know, loving relationships. And we're not perfect, right? We're None of us are perfect and we're all going to make mistakes. Like, I just said something not so nice yesterday to someone in my life. And I was like, wow, I'm still reflecting on it, still processing it. Because we all, like you said, have trauma, have things we're dealing with. And and no person is perfect. So we all are going to occasionally pop a red flag in ourselves, a yellow flag, to where you have to evaluate your own behavior and say, am I being healthy? Is this, is this something that I would tolerate another person doing? to myself and have that self-reflection. It's so, so critical to do that kind of work, to do that work on yourself, you know? Yeah,
0: no, I a hundred percent agree. Now let's talk about Garbo a little bit, because I would love to hear what you would say that you're anticipating or hope that people start using the app. Like at what point in the dating relationship point, do you think this is a great time to maybe do a check on somebody?
1: Yeah, it's designed to be used with the limited information that you have before meeting someone in person. And so it really works with just the first name, phone number, and the location. Maybe if they have a generic name, we need some additional information. But I always say you should do it before the first in-person meeting because that's the most vulnerable time you're connecting with someone new. And, you know, from my own experiences in online dating and talking with my friends, it's often the first date where something goes bad or there's major red flags happening and things like that. And so I definitely recommend doing it before the first meeting. But we also, in our research, identified people saying, oh, if I've got some weird feelings on the date, I would like run to the bathroom and search them immediately. And I was like, shocking to me. I was like, okay, that's, you know, I see it or, you know, I would only use it if I was really romantically interested in this person and Mm -hmm. pursuing something to like have that Mm -hmm. gut check. So, you know, it can be used before, during, or after meeting someone new. And it's, it's a very personal decision when you want to to utilize a tool like this. But I also want to mention that background checks are not a silver bullet, right? Most people have not Most bad actors have not interacted with the criminal justice system, have not been convicted of of these types of offenses. And so to always continue to look out for red flags, to trust your guts and your instincts and, Mm -hmm. and know that, yeah, just because someone doesn't have a record doesn't mean that they don't have a history of violence. That's true. Cause a lot of people don't report. It is, I
0: really highly recommend everyone go in at least if you have capacity to check out the account, why I didn't report, because I think it's really easy for us to all assume that if something happened, we would immediately run to authorities. And I had something, I had an act of violence. I, um, I almost said it was just something, but I got slapped across the face when I declined somebody's advances in Nashville. I was on a girl's trip. Everyone was out staying and I decided I wanted to leave. And on the street, somebody was, I was doing what a lot of us do is try and look like we're distracted. We're doing something else. And so I was looking at my phone I just wanted to look at my phone and this person had one, one man walked past me and he tried to say something like, Oh, are you, are you like, are you by yourself? And I was like, Oh, I'm just like, my cat's coming on. My friends are here. Like just creating a safe situation. And they were like, Oh, okay. Have a great night. Walk on by. And then this other group of guys come up. And this one guy, he was like a huge young man comes up and just like, wanted to get my attention. And I immediately was like, Oh no, I'm just like waiting for my car. And I looked down and he took his hand And I'm guessing just didn't even anticipate how drunk he was or how strong he was and slapped me like upwards to look at him, but legitimately hit me in the face. And I left and and I just like literally left and I went and I, and I got in my Uber and I got back and in the Uber, I texted my friends. I was like, some guy just like hit me in the face. Like, what was that? And as I started to process, I began to like cry and cry and cry and cry. And everyone obviously like was very there for me. And then I wrote a social media post about it because I had to be honest. I have never in my life thought that I would not, there was, when I tell the story, like, I think that people need to understand it was a very busy street and there was a guard police officer about 10 feet from me. So I literally could have gone 10 feet and told somebody, but the discomfort of the situation, there's like, people always say there's like flight or fight or flight. And then there's also freeze. I think I just froze and I got out of there. I just wanted to be in my house. I didn't want to talk to a cop about it. I didn't, in my head, I was still like, "Oh, it's just somebody hitting me in the face." Like, I can't believe somebody. just, but hit you were already face.
1: justifying it. You said, "Oh, he's already doing it." He was strong, big. He was, young. He was- Yeah, and yeah. you're justifying yeah. the experience of of abuse. You know, hundred percent. So I
0: think, like, as the reason I say this is because I really thought I would do that, and then when I went and I talked about it on social media a large amount of people were like, you didn't report and now other people are gonna be hit because of you, you did this. And that was like a lot to, first of all, no, it's not your fault if you didn't report. Like you are not responsible for somebody else's actions at any point of your life or their life. It is just not, that is not on you. You need to let that go. But if you go and you look at accounts like why I didn't report, some of these are like major cases of sexual violence or physical violence. And when you hear that why they didn't, I think it helps us all understand why there is a mass underreporting happening and why we need to be incredibly aware, but also protective of each other, protective of ourselves, giving ourselves like that, that awareness, but also that grace to move through it. Like it's going to, it sucks. The numbers are staggering and that's only the reported ones. It is at this point. I don't know, like I had a conversation with my girlfriends once and even my husband, we were talking about like, if we've ever been, you know, sexually grabbed at a, at a bar, And none of us could say that we weren't, not a single one of us. And my husband was like, what? He's like, why didn't you, what, you didn't tell me? I was like there with you that night. I was like, yeah, some guy just like grabbed my ass or some guy just tried to put his hand up my skirt. We get so used to it. We get so used to it that like later you all of a sudden recognize how bad things were or how rough that was or how accepting we are and normalized we are around things like abuse to the fact that we even just like freeze up in the little moments or we justify it over and over again. So there's a lot of reasons people aren't reporting, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still be really checking up on things like this. I believe in like, Honestly, at the end of the day, if people want to call you big sister, cool. Don't be doing something that big sister might see you doing. Like, really, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to.
1: Is yeah, exactly. And, and you know, even in my own situation, so I'm a multi time survivor of gender based violence. I didn't Mm -hmm. report for so many of my experiences. Yeah. And the only reason that I reported the one uh, abuser was because I felt forced. Like, he was stalking and harassing me after I was able to escape the relationship. And then he posted on all. All of these like forums of like liarsandcheaters.com and exposedpsychos.com with my photo and a paragraph oh that gosh. I was a cheater, a drug addict, you know, et cetera, named other people that I supposedly cheated on him with. And they started ranking number one on my Google search results. And at that point I was like, this is out of my control. I don't know what to do. And I called a hotline and they said, you should get an order of protection. But in New York, they recommend getting a police report before you get the order of protection. And that's it's much more substantial in actually getting the the order protection through family court. And and so I didn't want to report, right? I I had no desire. I I you know I, I knew the statistics behind police. I've had my own interactions with the police. I know my friends have had bad experiences with the police. And at first they were like, Well, we're too busy solving murders, and you know, just log off the internet, just make your accounts private, like just victim blaming, which we often see in experiences. And, and so I totally understand why, why people don't report. And I think it takes a lot of, and this is the sad reality, a lot of privilege to report. I, in my mm. own, my own case, I've spent over, I don't know, 150, $160,000 as a victim in the the justice system to try and create safety, not only for myself, but for other people and that takes so much privilege to do something like that and that's the sad reality of the situation and that's why we're hoping to through garbo you know stop serial offenders because an average offender can have up to 380 victims in a lifetime oh my gosh seriously bad actors and the rape kit backlog is is a horrible thing but when they've started testing them they find that it's serial perpetrators of these things, right? It's one person has three, you know, and that's three people who decided to actually go and get a sexual assault forensics exam done. How many people didn't do that, you know? And so yeah. if we are were to investigate these, these experiences and, and hold people accountable for, for their bad behavior, which is what we kind of hope to do, you can begin to proactively prevent some violence from occurring.
0: I think what you're doing is so important and obviously you've put a lot into this purpose. If somebody is interested in checking out you or your work, where is best for people to kind of check in and start, you know, looking at looking it up and seeing if this is something they want to get involved with.
1: Yeah, so our website is www.garbo.io. That's garbo.io. I know it's a, it's a little weird but check that out. Like I said, we have quizzes, we have a a blog, we have a a podcast that talks about all of these things in a very nuanced and survivor centric way. And we're just very honored to be doing the, the work that we're doing. And you have a, something that
0: is implemented into your website as well, which is like a little safety plus sign. Can you explain
1: that? Yeah, it's a, a safe escape button. So if someone is in a potentially dangerous experience accessing the site, they can quickly click that button and it will, if you're in the app experience, just log you out and take you to Google. If you're not in the app experience, if you're just on the website, it just takes you to Google. So that way the potential bad actor in your life won't see that you were on the site, won't see that you were garboing them or doing something mm. like that. It's a it's a new feature seen on a lot of gender-based violence resources. That- yeah, well, I think it's... I. Think- it's great. And and thank you so much for your time. Thank you for bringing your story to this
0: and for everything that you're doing. I really appreciated this conversation. I don't think I realized I had so much to say on it. And so I feel like a lot of people are probably really taking away a lot. So thank you so much. And for everyone listening, Hopefully you made some notes and some reflections on things like red flags and what these different forms of abuse might look like. The more that we recognize them, even in our favorite TV characters, the more we can become self-aware and protective of ourselves and others. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week thank you so much for listening all the way through this episode. If you've made it this far, I have one more little thing to share with you. Did you know that I actually have a photo and video editing app? So many people were surprised to hear that I have one, but it's actually been around for a little while and you can join over 200,000 of the papaya community by downloading my free app, Pink Papaya on iOS. While so many apps focus on changing your appearance, Pink Papaya is all about celebrating yourself for exactly who you are and expressing your creativity and your storytelling with nearly 50 free filters and tools. Find us on social and share your edits as well. We might just share them too. So tag me as well at Pink Papaya app just had to share that with you, especially as the springtime's coming. We've got some really cool things happening in there and so much more coming. Check it out at Pink Papaya app. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.